G'day, g'day. Welcome back to the Talk Hub Podcast. Get ready for the ride. Here we go. My name's Briley. My name's Jake. My name's Tony. And this is our father, Brendan Hinkson's podcast called the Talk Hard Podcast. Yes, it is. It's not rocket science. Read the title. Oh, thanks for that, Jake. We've got some great people lined up for you guys. And we hope you enjoy. Our father will be blabbling a lot of shite. So if you do enjoy, leave a review. Like and subscribe. Grab your miso and enjoy the show. Thank you and enjoy. This episode of the Talk Hard Podcast is brought to you by Trailer Skips Tasmania and Full Bore Skip Bins. If you're doing a bit of work around the house and you've got large amounts of waste items from household waste, green waste, building or renovation waste or heavy waste items and your piles are becoming bigger than Ben-Hur, Give Dylan a call to organise your trailer skip or full bore skip bin today. Trailer skips use a unique design incorporating a skip bin built into a trailer for easy removal and tipping. Or if it's a normal skip bin you need, a full bore skip bin will be the one for you. You don't even have to pick it up or dump it yourself. Dylan will deliver it for you and he'll take it away and dump it. How good's that? Give him a call today on 0409 801 635. Trailer skips and full bore skip bins. Don't go the half job, go the full bore. They say two things are certain in life, death and taxes. At tax time, you need a good accountant, but when you die, do many people think that you need a good celebrant? Our guest this week's well-known celebrant, Tracy Bruce, who most people will know from the hugely successful Pop-Up Weddings Company. Some may not know that Tracy's also a funeral celebrant. This is a huge passion of hers, and to be honest, it's not often you can have a fascinating chat about death and funerals, but this certainly was, as Tracy gives her thoughts on what makes a good send-off and how she wants to change perception around funerals. And for people who don't generally think about those sort of things, you get some fascinating insights from somebody who sees it up close. From requests for the guests to do shots off a coffin, to stories about deceased people making sure that their husbands don't dress the kids in hideous clothing, and the random songs that some people pick for funerals. We talk about her journey from growing up on the coast to travelling the world, working in the music industry, rubbing shoulders with some big name stars, and how she came to be back on the coast in working in what she calls her zone of genius, which she believes everyone has. Hers is organising memorable events for clients and families, which reflect who they are as people. As Jake says in the intro, get ready for the ride, here we go. Tracy Bruce, welcome to the Talk Hard Podcast. Thank you. No worries, thank you very much for your time. I I think. (laughs) (laughs) We only just got started, you might be throttling me by the end of it. (laughs) Um, So... Obviously, I'm I'm very acutely aware of, of people's time, and I know coming into this time of year, you know things do start to get really, really busy for you in your line of work. So yes. most people um, will know you as a celebrant, but obviously, um, with the podcast, what we want to do is you know let them find out a little bit more about you. So we're going to dig a, a little bit deeper. Um, but just firstly, so you do I call you the director of Pop Up Weddings, the owner? Oh, no, well, it, it's I suppose yes, I'm the creator, the director, the owner, the dog's body, the general all around. It's my business. Yep. Yeah, so. Yep. Yeah, well, awesome. however you want to put that. Yeah, cool. Tell us a little bit about that for a start. So I suppose it was built out of what I saw as um, a bit of a gap in the market. And it started when I was just going up to Cradle Mountain as a celebrant. And then the couples that I'd connect with would ask me, um, oh, can you recommend a photographer? Can you recommend a hair and makeup artist? Can you recommend, you know, where we could get some flowers? So with my background in events for such a long time, I thought, why don't I just put some packages together to offer people and mainly targeted at interstate 
um, couples. Yep. Um, and yeah, now, like here we are six years down the track, we do 120 weddings a year roughly yep. on average. And I have teams all around the state. So I contract photographers, hair and makeup artists, florists, yep. you know, um, work with venues and caterers and cake makers and yep. blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so it's it's that's how it evolved, which was really natural and really... I suppose needed. Yep. Um, yeah, and yep. here we are. And, and, we'll, we'll, and things haven't slowed down. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's good. Good for business. And we'll obviously we'll talk, you know, about your journey and, yes. and how you got into that. But you guys mainly specialise in intimate and smaller weddings. and That's right. Um, yep. So what I class as micro weddings, yep. which are 20 people and under elopements. Um, and we were doing that. COVID has sort of really brought that kind of wedding to the forefront for a yep. lot of people. But we were doing that many, many years before COVID obviously came along and made yep. it a thing. So yep. a lot of people now are choosing to get married how it suits them and yep. not with the expectation of what they think everyone else wants. Fantastic. So, yeah, so we haven't seen, if anything, we've seen an increase. Yep. And I have lots of couples from interstate who have planned and paid deposits for a huge big wedding, say, in Queensland. And have just as the time gets closer, six months out, they go, you know what? We, we don't want to do this. We're running away to get married. We're losing our deposits on the venue and we don't care. Yeah, So, right. yeah, it's quite interesting. Yep. Yeah. And was that elopement aspect the reason why you sort of pitched it towards a lot of mainland um, customers? Was that because they wanted to elope to Tasmania, was it? Yeah, or? well, Cradle Mountain is probably the number one spot because it's so iconic and, and beautiful. So, yeah, originally, like I said, it started with Cradle, but now we find we do lots of elopements yep. everywhere. So, yep. yeah, initially that's where it was. But we do lots of elopements for Tassie people as yeah. well. So we find a lot of Hobart people will come up to Cradle or come up to the coast and get married. Yep. Um, and people from Burnie will go to Cradle and get married. So it's not specifically for the mainlanders, but seems to be that's where it started yep. initially. Cool. Yeah. So tell me about a, a typical elopement. Like obviously, you know, you see it on the on TV and that sort of thing. Is it just like a, a couple just deciding we're going to nick off and get married or do they surprise family by saying, hang on, we're actually getting married while we're there? What, um, what's it's generally a, happening? A mixture. I get yep. quite stressed when I go and meet a couple and say, so do you have siblings? Uh, no, like they're only children. They haven't told anyone and they're getting married. I, I just write, Okay, like I can imagine being your mum and dad and just going, what? What, um, yeah. Yeah, look, it's some couples bring their parents and bring their siblings and, and do a little intimate thing, but for a lot of couples where it's just the two of them, sometimes they like to just keep it a secret and keep in that moment for a couple of days and then share the news with family. Some have told family and family are okay with it. Yep. So it's a real mixture of both. And then they go back and have a big party with all their family and friends and show them the photos. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So it is a real mixture. Yeah. yeah. And as long as it's a special day for them and they get what they want, that's the main thing. That is the it? main thing. And I think too with elopements, especially just the couple on their own, it really is just about them. Yep. Really just about them. Yeah. Um and all they have is the celebrant, the photographer, and you know, usually if they're bringing no one, we we get the hair and makeup artist to stay as the witness. Yep. So it's just the five people. Yep. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't be any more intimate. Yep. Because technically, you need two witnesses. Yeah. So you it do. can't be any more interesting, <laughs> intimate than that. Yeah. And it's funny you say that, you know, about them getting what they want and having having the day just for them. Because I know, like a lot of people, particularly around their wedding days, they get really stressed because worrying about what other people want and what they think, uh, and you know, trying to please other people. And the biggest complaint. So I do also big weddings. Um and work as sort of a wedding planner coordinator for that and as we get closer to the dates i find my couples getting really really stressed and they're stressed because they're not stressed and they think they should be stressed right and i say to them that's why you've got me so you're not stressed yep. and it's the 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 
bridal party or the parents or something saying, why aren't you, why aren't you stressed about this? And what? So there's this expectation that weddings are stressful. They're actually not. Yep. <laughs> it's just that everyone else puts that weight. So I say to my couples, have you got what you're wearing? Have you got your rings? Then I've got everything under control. Don't worry about it. Yep. Like, you know, that, yep. it's meant to be not stressful. So they hire you in to do the stressing for them. Yeah, and I don't stress (laughs) Yeah, because it's what I do and I love what I do. Yeah, awesome. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it's an interesting... And I think that a lot of younger couples now are actually starting to do more about what suits them and leaving that expectation behind because there's no rules with weddings anymore. Yeah. Except for the legalities of getting married. Yep. There's actually no rules. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. And as I say, we'll explore that a little bit later on. But people that have listened to the podcast, like a lot of the time, if I've got a connection to the person, I usually like to go back. And my connection to you is the fact that you actually married my wife and I. I certainly did. Yeah. (laughs) And, And I'm glad that she's not here today because she has told me over the years that she did want to murder you sometimes because of the fact that I piss her off so I get much. I so. for so much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's at work today, but she said to say good day. Um, first time that you've come back since you actually met with us to, to plan it. the wedding, which was a bit special. But, you yes. know, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Yeah. But um, take us back to the start for you. So did you grow up in Devonport? I'm an Olveston girl. Olveston, cool. Originally, yep. yeah. So um, my mum and dad were both Olveston people. Yep. So, yeah, went to school at East at East Olverson Primary and then come across to Reese High to um, to do high school. My parents split when I was about 11. Yep. So we come this way with mum and um, I was heavily involved in sports. I played softball yep. um, in Olverston and Devonport. So, yeah, that was sort of the, the basis for me. Dad, farming background. Yep. Um, and, yeah, so have lots of connections in Olverston. Yeah. Olverston way still. Cool, cool. So you left Devonport, though, in about 97, you said? Yeah, right? and look, I'd never been, this is funny, my partner at the time and one of his mates, we packed up and we backpacked around Canada and the US for six months and then went to London to live. And I'd never even been to the mainland. Yep. I'd never even been outside of the state. <laughs> to where biting off more than you can chew. Talk about, yeah, ju- jump, cliff jumping, I call it. Yeah. You jump off the cliff and hope you get wings. Yeah. And if you don't, you hope someone can put you together at the bottom. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what we did. And it was a, an amazing experience. Um, and, yeah, yeah, 97. So, yep. gone. And I was away for 11 years before I returned to Devonport. Wow. Yeah. And when I came back, um, I came back, I suppose, with a whole different perspective of how good Tassie is yeah yeah awesome so you just just went on a whim did you You didn't have any expectations of what you Um, were going to do my older sister had been in the UK for two years working as a nanny so obviously the communication with her about what she was up to but no I went we went we sold everything sold cars sold all our furniture like I left a couple of boxes at my mum's house of you know personal stuff that I wanted to keep sentimental things yep and off we went. We got to London and I think we had like a hundred pounds each. Yep. And then had to get jobs the next yep. day. So the good thing about London back in that time, there's a magazine called Time Out and they advertise lots of jobs and they're aimed at backpackers. Um, within the first week I had a job at Sega Video Games. Yep. Um, and I actually I was only there for a couple of months, but one of my jobs was testing the Manix TT Superbike wow. arcade game. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, and there's little tricks and stuff to get you to different levels to make sure that it all worked properly before yeah. it got shipped out to wherever it was going to be. So, how old were you then? I was like 19, wow. 19, 19. So, 19 year old's dream these days. <laughs> well, but probably not for a girl, but yeah, these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then our local pub called the White Swan in Golders Green, where we lived, yep. had a Manix TT Superbike game in yep. the pub you become so a local legend really quickly, i used imagine. to be really naughty and um bet people coming into the pub 
like guys <laughs> particularly, yeah. better than tenner. Oh, better ten I can beat you. You can't beat me. Yeah. Yeah, I can. <laughs> Only because I knew all the tricks. That's awesome. So, yeah. And from there then, um, so that was my first job when I hit London. So I didn't do the working in a pub thing or the nanny thing. Um, started there. Yep. And then went to HMV yep. to work. So yep. the big music store, yep. the big chain that was over there at the time. So that was sort of um, where I started my then years into the music industry. Yeah, cool. Well, I was going to say, I, I knew that you had worked in the music industry and that was one thing that, you know, I was really shocked to, to learn about you. I remember when we were sitting down planning our wedding, somehow it just came into the conversation. Yeah. So not a lot of people would probably know that about you, that you did spend a lot of years in no, the music industry. No, so. no, not a lot of people know that. And I worked in sort of the hard rock metal side of things. So yep. with, you know, all those bands that... um you know, appeal to a certain type of person. Yep. Generally, well, certainly back in those days. And that probably came about from the two guys that I travelled with because they were metalheads, for yep. want of a better word. Yep. Um, so that's sort of the gigs we went to were all metal gigs and, and that's sort of how I, I rolled into to being part of that that industry. Yep. And when I moved back to Australia, I came back originally to Sydney and worked for HMV there in the flagship store in Pitt Street. And then again in the music industry. Yep. And then before I went off to work in a, um, a specialist metal store called Utopia Records. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So how did you, your career in the music industry progress then? So you started off working in the um, in the store itself and yeah. then you actually came to the point where you were interviewing and working with artists? Yeah. So we did a lot of in-stores. I actually started a magazine when I was at Utopia. So yep. interviewed a lot of artists for that and obviously become quite friendly with tour managers and, and you know, w- would do tours and, and bits and pieces and, and um, yeah, work with artists like that. A lot of label, um, a lot of label managers. So yep. yeah, sort of, sort of naturally evolved. Yeah. Um, and the thing I probably found the hardest part of being a girl in that industry, because I was only in my twenties, so I was only young, mm. was that you had to prove yourself all the time. It was like it was a real male-dominated area, and. Even some of the people that would walk into the store, especially when I was at Utopia, it was like they were testing my knowledge. Right. Are you just a fake metal lover or do you actually know stuff? Yep. Uh, so they'd ask me like really complicated questions about <clears throat> bands and artists and things like that just to see if I knew the answer. Yep. So I constantly felt like I was being tested yep. all the time. Yep. Yeah. Which, But, you know, Utopia, I worked with a store, in a store, there was 14 guys and me. Wow. Okay. I was the only girl in that yep. store. So that in itself was quite a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, I've I've been uh, in some fisticuffs. I've been with guys. I've um had some quite heated discussions with metalheads. Yep. Um this with consumers coming in. Yeah, or? yeah, and even just at gigs and stuff. Right. Like so when you were a girl, it, yeah, I mean there were people that don't get me wrong there was lovely, respectful, great people in the industry, but there was also some that just wanted to take you down yep. regardless. Yep. Yeah, so... So how, how do fisticuffs eventuate mm-hmm. at, a, at a concert? Is that oh, usually the... someone with too much alcohol. Right, And okay. me I mean, saying no. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, you can't come backstage. No, you can't do this. Yep. Yeah. Um, and what I've found with, you know, a lot of the bands that I knew is uh, the bigger they were, the more generous and humble they were. Yep. When they had a little bit of success, it's like they thought that they ruled the world. Right. So it was really, I met some people who I really admired that really disappointed me. Right. And I met some people that 
I really admired and I thought, yeah, you are bang on like I thought you were going to be. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I don't know if you're prepared to name drop or not. Obviously, you won't name drop the ones that disappointed you, but tell us the ones that, that, you know, did live up to expectation. Um, Someone like Alice Cooper. Cool. So cool. So all he cares about is golf, let's be honest. Um, But he's such a really nice, genuine guy. Yep. Um, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. Yeah. So lovely. I've heard that. So lovely. Yep. Um, But, you know, and then there were some... Some others, like um, the guys from Opeth, which metalheads will know who they are, the guys from Nevermore, yep. absolutely amazing. Yep. But then you would have others who you would think, oh, they would be cruisy. Yeah, no, so not. Yep. So not. Cruisy as in, like, like not cruisy as in, like, disrespectful or oh, arrogant? Oh, or... just arrogant and yep. entitled. Okay. Yeah. Was that part of your job, though? You just had to roll with that and learn oh, how to yeah, deal with people like that? Yeah, yep. you just roll with it. Yep. Yeah. And, it, you know, and you learn a lot from that. You learn a lot. Um, and one of the biggest things that I learned was, I suppose not everyone is who they tell you they are, if right. that makes sense. So yep. It's a persona just, thing. Yeah, and just because they say it doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. So some people would like to blow, for want of a better description, smoke up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but then turn around and dog you to the next person. Okay. And it was probably a really valuable lesson to learn about... Um, you know, the fakeness of people yep. or the fakeness of some people. Yeah. Because there are people that will just step on anyone to get to the top of the ladder. Yeah. And and if that's who they are, that's who they are. Like, mm. that's that's their journey, not mine. Um, so, but I learned, I was lucky I got to learn those lessons at a young age. Yeah. Which, which then put me in good stead for things going forward, I yeah. suppose. Cool. Yeah, cool. Well, I remember actually that was the, one of the main stories that you told us when we were sitting down. I think it was um, Dave Grohl. You said you were sitting there having a chat to him and some fans or someone came up yeah. and, and he was really respectful to them and said, look, excuse me, I'm just having a chat. Yeah, to, it was actually to... um, someone from a magazine who oh, okay. came to ask him some questions and he was really respectful and said, listen, I've done my interviews. I appreciate you've got questions, but I'm just here having a chat. I've done my time interviewing and, you know, you sort of, you know, he was really, really respectful to them and respectful to me yep. and handled it. And I just thought, yeah, that's that's how you do it. He's a gentleman. Absolutely. Instead of where, say, some other people would have turned around and, and you know, swore, just been really aggressive about it. Yeah, so, or just blown you off to go and talk to absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So um, you, you appreciate that kind of stuff yeah. for sure. I know just, you know, through our correspondence over the last couple of weeks, you said that you got a lot of tough love and a lot of lessons in the, in the music industry. Yeah. Um, were there people that did sort of try to cut you down and things like oh, that? Oh, constantly. Or? Yep. Constantly. Um, and you would, you were particularly always the scapegoat yep. or the blame game. You know, if there was someone that they needed to throw under the bus, it always seemed to be me. Yep. Um, and... You know, a little girl from Tassie who's quite trusting. You know, little communities like we had when I grew up in the 70s and 80s. You know, you played with your neighbours across the road. You could trust the, you know, your friend's mum to fix you if you hurt yourself, if your mum wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't used to being in such a an environment where no one gave a shit about anyone, to yeah, be honest. Yep. Yeah. 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 You know, I, it, I worked in George Street in Sydney. I saw this lady fall over with an armful of papers and I watched 20 people walk around her while me and one other lady went and helped her. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Like, just the, the lack of, you know, who cares? Yeah. Which was really, um, you, you know, quite confronting. And I, even in London, like, when you sat on the tube, you didn't dare talk to anyone. Like, I, um, I asked... A man, I didn't wear a watch at that time. Um, I asked a man sitting next to me, sorry, 
can you tell me the time? And you would have thought with the look that he gave me that I just said, give me your wallet or I'll stab you. Right. Like, I was just like, really? Everyone's like, got their guard up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in big cities, everyone's, and I wasn't used to that yep. because here you help, you know, you help whoever you can help. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, that was probably really hard to adjust to. Yeah. 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 So obviously with the, with the artists and things that you had, um, interactions with was there any key things that you took away from them like obviously they're at the top of their game for for a reason so what yeah. what sort of sets them apart to the ones that are middle of the road what would you put oh it look down i to? think the ones that are top of their game they take it seriously they don't party till 4 a.m yep they don't drink themselves into oblivion every night yep. they're actually they see what they do as a job um and yeah they probably have moments where they do that but you know mm. how can a band who's touring for say 10 days write themselves off every night, mm. night after night, and still give a great performance the next day. Yeah. The ones that are in the middle of the road who want to live the rock star cliche, they're the ones that do that. Yeah. And it's like... And they fizzle out. They do. <laughs> and that's why their second album's worse than their first. You know what I mean? That's sometimes. Um, yep. There's always exceptions to the rules. I get that. But, yeah, that's why you have these one-hit wonders who come and go. I think yeah. that's it's like that in any um, profession that you go into. If you're going to do it, you've got to take it seriously and not sort of do it half-assed or you, you get what you reap what you sow sort Correct. of thing, don't you? And this is where I... I'm a big one about working in your zone of genius. Yep. So to me, Which those we'll get into, don't yeah, we? Yeah. <laughs> so though, to me, those big ones are working in their zone of genius. Yeah. The ones in the middle road, obviously, love music, but it might not be what they're meant to be doing. So that's why it's not quite working because they're not working in their zone of genius. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Now I'm really looking forward to exploring that with you. Um, but again, just let's go back to your journey then. So you then you went, you moved to Sydney and worked in a music store, but then you got out of the music industry. I did. Didn't you? So I, what was the decision behind that? I just needed a break. Yep. I just couldn't mentally just thought, I can't do this. I actually remember coming home to see, coming back to Olsen to see my mum, it was a long weekend. And I pretty much got in on the Saturday and slept till the Monday and then went home. Like, I was just exhausted. And my mum said to me, if you don't get out of this, you're going to end up dead. Like, wow. you just, you know, you've come home to visit and you've pretty much slept the whole time that you're here. Yep. So I went back to Sydney and went, you know what? I need to do something totally different. Yep. My older sister lived in Melbourne at the time. Um, and I just said, that's it. I'm going to move to Melbourne. So I, I, I left my job. I left that whole life behind me and moved to Melbourne and thought, what am I going to do? Yep. <laughs> I applied to Flight Centre as a joke. Yep. Got an interview the next day. Started the next week. Yep. So then that started my travel journey, which yep. also plays into what I do now. So yeah. all the lessons I feel I've learned over my time working... I use all those skills, yeah. parts of those skills in yep. what I do now. Yep. No, yeah, no, everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? Absolutely. At the time, you just don't know, but sometimes when you look back, it always crystallizes. And sometimes you think, what the... And just when you look back, you go, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I didn't see it, but yeah. Yeah. But I'd imagine working at Flight Centre wouldn't have been as full-on as what you'd been doing, so you're probably pretty well qualified for definitely, that role, Definitely not full-on as what I'd been doing, yep. but certainly was very high expectations. Yep. So it's... Um, there's lots of... KPIs that you have to meet. There's lot there back then, and there was lots of um, pressure to perform yep. effectively. Um, I worked with a great team, and I worked in Doncaster at the shopping centre there. And then from there, I actually moved and opened a store in Devonport for Flight Centre yep. when it opened. So that was my catalyst to come home. My nan had got really sick with cancer, yep. and that was like, okay, enough's enough. I need to now come home. Yeah, so that had been yeah. eleven years living and working away. Yeah. 
and it was like, nah, okay, the time has come. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So they just approached you, did they, to, to open a store in Devonport? Well, they were they... they were looking for a site. Yep. They actually offered me um, a team leader position down in Hobart, and I said, if I'm in Hobart, I might as well be in Melbourne. Yeah. Because it takes me three hours to drive back to Devonport, and I can get on a plane and be home in an hour. An hour, yeah. So yep. they said, well, let's look for a store in Devonport. I went, yep. go for your life. And then when it came up, I had to apply and got the manager's job and, and yeah, come home to do that. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So from there, then you went into Devonport City Promotions, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So while I was at Flight Centre, because you can take the girl out of events, but you can't take the events out of the girl. Um, <laughs> Keeps I calling actually you back. started the first, myself and another guy, um, I was on the show committee at the time, yep. um, Devonport Show Committee, and a guy there, Noel Hardstuff, and I decided that we needed to do something in Devonport on New Year's Eve. Yeah. So that's sort of the catalyst of, okay, well, how do I do this in a small community? How do I put on an event? So we started the very first Eve in the City. Yep. And I run that for a couple of years until it was handed over to the um, to the Apex Club. Yep. Um, so I made contact with people at council and then Denport City Promotions, which was an, an arm that the council funded but sat separate with retail, with a retail board over it, um, a job come up with them and I applied for that and then, yeah, transition so that I was then looking after the retailers. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an interesting experience. So I would do lots of promotions and things to bring people into retail yep. in Devonport. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. again, you know, we'll talk about your zone of genius later on, but you think your zone of genius is obviously around event, obviously around event planning. It's, it's and... around organising. Yeah. Uh, well, here you go. My nickname at home when I was a kid was Senator. Right. Because I was the... <laughs> Chief organiser of everything. Yeah. And I've always had an interest in politics. Yep. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a political journalist. Yep. Yeah. So um, obviously organising is my zone of genius. Yep. Yeah. And so that's something you've always come back to. It's not something that's a, that's a chore for you. It's no, you it's, it comes as second to. nature. Yep. Yeah. 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 So I find it, I find it um, joyful to do and easy to do. Yep. Yeah. So where other people get stressed... I'm just like, no, we've got, here's the timeline. We've got this, this is, yep. you know, this is how it's going to roll. Yeah. Um, and I've become over the years very good at, I suppose, fixing things on the fly. Yeah. Putting out the fires. Yeah. And putting out the fires so no one knows there was even a fire to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Good person yeah. ever around in a stressful situation, <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine. <laughs> well, as I always say, did someone die? Then it's all fixable. Yeah. And even if they did die, you know what? There's nothing we can do, but we can, we mm. can make that okay as well. Yeah. As in we can you know, deal with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, it's funny you say, did someone die? Because that's, that's a good segue into your next line of work. Yes. So you, from there, you went into being a funeral director, is it? Yeah. Right? So we're from Denport City Promotions got swallowed up by Denport Council. Yep. So I worked there um, with them. Yep. And then mm-hmm. when, uh, so 10 years ago, um, in 2011, my dad died at age 57. And within that six months, we lost dad and my mum lost her parents as well within six months. And, a conversation I had with my dad before he died was around, he was a farmer, yep. was around doing what you love. And he always thought that he'd leave travel till he, later in life. And he, everything was going to be later, later, later. And then here he is dying in a hospital bed going, Tracy, he said to me, Tracy, you're the most out of the girls like me. Do not do what I did. Do something that gives you joy. Do something you love. Yep. So that then made me go, you know what? I've got a great job at council running events, but... There's got to be more. Like, I need to do something that makes me sing. Yep. Um, and having had that experience with Dad and my grandparents' funerals, and they were all very different, I thought, you know what? I would love to help people celebrate 
someone's life in a really positive way. So I left my council job and became a funeral director. Yeah. Um, and did that for a, a, a short time, but really opened my eyes to the funeral industry and what that's all about. And I'm still a funeral celebrant now. Yep. I don't obviously, unfortunately, have as much time to do funerals because obviously they're all, you don't can't pre-plan these things yeah. in advance. Yep. Um, so sometimes I'm not available for families because I have weddings and, and prior commitments. But yeah, it is something that I love to help celebrate someone's life. And, and to me, someone's funeral should be reflective of who they are, yep. not like a tick box you know, not like a, everyone's funeral should be unique, like they are unique. Yep. Yeah. So yep. I'm a big, big believer in going into a family and just saying, tell me about Bill. Yep. Tell me about what did they love? What yeah. did they do? Like, tell me about their life. Yeah. And then building from there yep. of how to, the best way to say goodbye. And you said sort of working in that industry did open your eyes to that. Did you find that it was a, a lot sort of the other way? It was more of a tick box type thing with funerals rather than putting a bit more emotion into it yeah and a bit more look feel. I, I think um it's it's really hard because the funeral industry is a busy industry um but yeah i think that sometimes the personality gets taken out of funerals there's some beautiful people that work in the funeral industry don't get me wrong but I, they're also have their strings pulled in other directions yeah um and we are and also it's dictated by what the family want so if the family don't know what they can ask for or what they can have they they don't ask yep. um had like back when my dad died had i have known i would have suggested we had he have his service on the farm in the paddock yep. he always used to say about people didn't come and bloody visit him because he lived so far away he lived at sprint yeah um and that <laughs> miles no, and miles yeah, away <laughs> no one would get their bloody shoes dirty in the yeah. red mud well that would have made everyone go to sprint and get their shoes dirty in the red mud yeah. you know so to me, we did have his dirty boots and his hat at his at his service and those kinds of things. But, you know, if someone is huge in basketball, why can't we have their funeral at the stadium? Mm. You know, if that's where they spent all their life. If someone was huge with bowls, why can't we have their service at the bowls club? Yeah. You know, like, if someone loved their garden, why can't you have the service in their garden if it's big enough? Mm. You know, like, those kinds of things. Make it more... Um, relevant to who that person is and how they live their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, like a lot of um, famous people seem to have them at, at, at different areas. I remember going to, to Daryl Baldock's funeral. It was yes. you know, obviously very fitting oh, that it was at the Oval. Absolutely, and you would have needed that for the amount of people that yeah. he had. And yeah. I think that is a fantastic. See, to me, that that is what you do. Mm. That is what you do for someone like that. But. Why can't someone like you have it where it's... Do you know what I mean? That, mm. what, you don't have to be a in big... In here in the Talk Hard studio. That, but you don't have to be a big famous football... Do you know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't just be for people who have profile. Yeah. It should be for anyone. Yeah. Anyone for anything that suits. Should be reflective of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So with that industry, so tell us about some of the challenges. Like, obviously, it's a pretty emotional type roller coaster that you're going on with people. Do you... Yeah. You obviously meet people at a very stressful and sad time in their life. So yes. how do you how do you sort of roll with that? Um, I suppose I've conditioned myself to it now. Yeah. Um, it was very challenging at the very start. Yeah. But I walk into every family that I see, I walk in, I suppose, very empathetic. I've been in their shoes. Yeah. Like, I understand. I mean, not everyone's shoes. Don't get me wrong. I've never lost a child. But I understand where their head's at. Their head's all over the place. It's scrambled. Um, And I just hope that I can help bring them some focus just for a short little time. Yeah. I think what a lot of people don't understand when you lose someone, and it doesn't matter who that is, you're so busy between the time that they're gone and, and the funeral, organising things and sorting things, 
actually once that funeral's over and life goes back to normal, that's the hardest part. Right. That is actually where the challenge starts yep. because everyone's gone back to life as normal, but your life is not the same. Mm. You have to then find a new normal for yourself, yep. and that is the challenging part. It's like How you're do... looking out the window and the world's passing by, but and, you're and still stuck And you're just stuck wondering, there. why isn't anyone else, you know, Sad. my life has stopped. Yep. Why, you know, how can people, you know, I all, <laughs> one of my favourite sayings is, we're always one day closer to death because mm. that's the reality of life. Mm. So don't waste those days. But also understand that when someone, it's it's as it's meant to be. Well, I believe that everyone's life is as it's meant to be. So that person was meant to go, yeah, it might be shitty. It might be in a car accident and you didn't get to say goodbye. And then that totally sucks. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't mean the end of your life. It means your life is different. And it means your life is a little bit more challenging. But you got to keep going. If nothing, just for that person that, mm. that's left you behind. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, are there any other challenges involved in that industry? Like, what are some of the main things that bob up that makes it really tricky? Look, I think the emotion yep. is, is the main thing. Um, what I also find is um, sometimes conflict, conflict in families. Right. Uh, I always say death brings out the best and worst in people. Right, yeah. Grief is a really personal journey for everyone. And you might have a family of four who've lost their mum. Those four siblings are all going to react differently and as i sit like and i've been with families and someone has cracked it and walked out and as i say to the ones that are left behind it's just grief and that's okay this is how they're dealing with it don't hold it's nothing personal they just some people can process it some people can't some people will squash it down some people don't stop crying it's an individual journey and you've got to be respectful that people are on that journey on their own yeah you just got to be there for people. Yeah. Just be there, and that, and just let them process it as they need to. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a tough one, yeah. but that's the challenge because as a funeral director, as as a celebrant, you never know what you're going to walk into, and you never know how people are going to react, and you've got to try and and make the best of whatever the situation might be. Yeah. Yeah. That was the next thing I was going to ask you. You say that you're conditioned to it, but is, is it a, an industry where you do take a lot of stuff home? Do you take any of the... I suppose we talk among ourselves. Yep. Like we debrief with each other. Yeah. Um, I've found over the years with people that have come and gone, you're right, you either can do it or you can't. There's no middle ground. Yep. You either love it or you don't. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's one of those industries where, yeah, it's... You can't half-ass it, yep. for want of a better description. Yeah, yeah. yes, you're but yeah, that way inclined or not. Absolutely. Yep. And you do def- you do find those that work in the industry, we debrief with each other and we talk through things. Yeah. And we probably all have very dark sense of th- senses of humour, um, <laughs> but that's what gets you through. Yeah. yeah. I yep. mean, we see a lot of things, particularly those that work in the mortuary and, you know, like it's... It's, it's quite confronting yeah. at times. Yeah. So which ones would you say would be the hardest funerals to deal with? Would it be like the death of young people or unexpected deaths? Or? Look, yeah, unexpe- people who've been sick and on that journey and are expected, it's still tough, but it's a relief a lot of the time. Um, suicide, young suicide is probably the hardest. And it's because it's the weight that's on all their friends and family. Like for a lot of young suicide um people their friends this is the first death they've ever had to deal with yeah so it's really and i'm so mindful of what i say when i'm a celebrant because it you don't want to send anyone down another rabbit hole you don't want 
people to think that that's the only way out, but you don't want to glorify to make it something that is not good, but you know something that wow, look at all the look at every, all that's happened since they've gone. Mm. Yeah, but we'd much bloody rather than be here, of course. You know, so yeah. you've got to. It, it's yeah, and suicide stuff on the family. Mm. Like I've had a cousin who suicided, so. Even though I'm a little bit removed, I, I have seen my aunt and uncle and, and cousins process that. Mm. And it is a it is a tough one um, because you never know why. Then it, you know, it, and it sometimes just comes totally out of the blue. Mm. You just don't see it coming. Yeah. And I think that that is probably the one thing that in the in the funeral industry or, or in about, about death that I just can't wrap my head around this permanent, <laughs> permanent, action for a temporary situation yeah you know um that that yeah it it's scary um i worked for a brief time as a telephone counselor on lifeline yep so i mean you'd you'd have people ring and talk to you and i'd much rather you know those services be inundated and we find some more um people to get on lifeline to talk to people than than have people you know, feel that that's the only way out is to, to take their own life. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's yeah. an interesting point you make around their friends being there as well because obviously, you know, they're only, you know, teenagers or, or unfortunately that's generally the age that, yes. that it happens. So they're probably not emotionally equipped themselves to, to deal with it either. No. So and it, it puts pressure on their parents. Of course. Because as a parent, yeah. how, how do you, if you're not, if you don't know how to deal with, like if you're not equipped with your own tools, how do you help your kids? Mm. That's that's the other thing as well. Yeah. Like, you know, it puts pressure on so many levels, mm. and I can't I can't tell you how important counselling is for those for those kind. You know, even for the friend of the friend who suicide, if they need counselling, get mm. them to talk to someone. Yeah. yeah, and I think schools and sporting clubs and things like that are really good now. They seem Absolutely. to wrap that support around really quickly. Yeah, now, they somebody do. In the community does, and I think too, like my daughter's grade six, um, and I've notice the things that they teach them in school about expressing their emotions mm. i remember she was like seven and she said to me mom it hurts my feelings when you growl at me like that and my <laughs> response was well if you just did what you're told yeah. like but that's obviously come from school yep. that that way to express it yep. um so i think that's good and they're teaching and, and unfortunately it seems to be guys that that don't seem to be able to express their emotions they're taught as, as young kids now that it's okay. And of course it's okay for mm. guys to cry. And of course it's okay for guys to be upset. Yeah. We've got to get rid of that stigma in society for all people, yep. you know. Absolutely. You're allowed. It's okay not to be okay. Of mm. course. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I think society is slowly getting better at that. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But I also have issues around, and I know we've already discussed this, around, you know, the whole you need to tell it. You don't have to bloody tell everyone. Just tell one person who can mm. help you. There's the pressure then that it's okay to say that you're severely depressed and tell everyone under the sun. Some people aren't comfortable with that. And that's okay too. Mm. Like, you know, you don't have to tell the world. Mm. You just just tell someone. That one, that one person. One person. Yeah. One person who can be there, who can support you, who you can debrief with, or go and get some professional help and tell no one. Just mm. don't keep it in. Yeah. That's that's just the key. Talk to someone. Talk to someone. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a saying with funerals that I've never been to a good one, but I was going to ask you, what's the best funeral that you've directed? That might be a sound like a weird question. No, but what's no, the best it's not a weird question. I always say the best funeral has more laughs than tears. Right. I love it when people tell terrible stories, like <laughs> as in really inappropriate stories. Yep. And I always say to people uh, when they're writing stuff for me to read, don't edit it. Tell it how it is. 
I don't care if you need me to swear. I'm okay with that. I draw the line at the C word. Yep. But anything else, I'm your girl. Yep. Like, it's okay. Don't edit it. <laughs> Those people that are coming, they know who they were. They know who that person was. They know how they spoke. Mm. So tell all the really funny stories. Yeah. Okay, Nan might be offended. It is what it is. You know, <laughs> it's one day. Yeah. Um, Oh, and that's what I think. The, the best funerals are reflective of the person who's gone yep. and are true to the character that they were. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, that was the next thing I was going to ask. And I know you touched on it there before about making the, the funeral, you know, reflective of the person. But I know you, you're very passionate about changing people's perception of funerals. Are there any other things that you want to add to funerals sort oh, of moving forward? Or? Look, it's not really about adding. It's about everyone, regardless of what age you are, Write down what you want. Write down your favourite songs. Write down how you want it to roll. Yep. If you can't sit and have that conversation with someone because they're going to think you're morbid and, you know, maybe you're suicidal, write it down and say to someone, if anything happens to me, this is what you need. Open this envelope. Open this envelope. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I know that sounds terrible. Yep. But as soon as I worked in the funeral industry, I had people that come up to me and said, Tracy, when I die, I want everyone <laughs> to have shots and I want you to use my coffin as the bar, yeah. right? I'm like, okay, can you write that down? Because I might have trouble talking to your mum about yeah, that. Yeah, and sign it yeah Yeah. so I've had lots of people who tell me what they want I had another person who I knew and only vaguely knew her but she said if I die Tracy you need to go round to my family and make sure my husband doesn't put our kids in terrible clothes you know like just real (laughs) random random stuff so it's things like that and you can update that all the time like I have in my head for people that are really close to me a list of songs that I know that they want yep you know, and it's really funny. I will sit, this is going to sound terrible, I will sit at a funeral and a song will come on and I'll go, oh, that's Blah Blah Blah's funeral song. You know, yeah. in my head. Yep. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. So it's really, but I have songs on the radio now that play and I go automatically back to someone's funeral that I did. Yep. It's really, my dad had um, John Williamson's True Blue. Yeah, beautiful. And it took me, because he was a real farmy country guy, it took me probably 12 months to be able to listen to that song yep. at a funeral without welling up and getting quite stuck. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting the effect that music has yeah. on people, as as we well know. Absolutely. Um, and, like, I've done funerals where it's been all Metallica yep. or all Iron Maiden, and I love that. Because yep. if that's your favourite band, have those songs. Yep. You don't have to have soppy stuff. Well, everyone's know. dressed in black anyway. Exactly. So. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. It's about you. Yep. It's about you. So don't worry about the expectation of other people. Yep. And this is what I say to families. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So do what you want. Yeah. Someone's going to whinge and think that you didn't do whatever they thought you should have done. Mm. So you do what suits you. Yeah. I work with a fellow that um, he's about to retire, actually, but um, he can't get it across the line with his wife. He wants another one bites the dust to play yes. at his funeral, but his wife's not going to let We've him. We've had burning ring of fire. People have been cremated. You know what I mean? And, Highway to hell. And I've had families say, Tracy, you need to say that this was their choice. Yeah. We don't want people to think that we chose this song for them. Yeah. You know, um, my um, cousin who died, and she was only in her 50s, um, she had the Time Warp yep. as her last song. Yep. And so now I hear that song and I automatically think of her. Yeah. So it's really... Yeah, and another popular one is always look on the bright side of life. Yeah. Monty Python. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's quite... In, and that's what I say. You you get what... get what Do what suits you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be reflective of you. And, and that song then becomes synonymous with your life moving forward, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So from from your funeral work, is that where you just automatically gravitated into being a wedding celebrant, or was it something that you had to separate and say, right, I'm not doing funerals anymore. I want to get into weddings. Or no, well, I I suppose the weddings balanced out, the happy balanced out, the sad yep. effectively, like the two balanced each other. Yep. So um so 
Yeah, so it's not a case... Like, I still dabble in both. So it wasn't a case of which one do I like more. It's like, this is how it rolls. But as I said to you earlier, you know, I'm at a stage now with um, pop-up weddings where I don't necessarily have to be on the ground for all of them. Yep. Like, they're happening... I've got a wedding happening as we're sitting here that I'm not a part of, but the team have got it under control. It's a very simple little elopement and... I can come and do this or yep. I can answer emails about more inquiries and, yep. you know, things like that. So it's sort of evolved to the point where um, it's, near, you know, it, it sort of sits on its own. Yeah. 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 And But do you think, again, I know how funerals are a passion of yours. Do you think that you will in the future devote more time back to those now? Oh, or? I would love to. Look, I'd, to be honest, I'd love to have my own funeral home. Yeah. Then, then it would be, you know, a whole new game. Yeah. But it's a very... It's a very um, I suppose that's something that I see for down the track. Yeah, it's a very hard industry to break into as a as a new business, if that makes sense. Yeah. there's lots of you know, and and you've only got to look here in Tassie. There are a lot of family owned funeral homes and a lot of funeral homes owned by bigger funeral homes. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, it's certainly something that I I can still see for down the track for me. Yeah. Awesome. So just um, if you can just indulge me just for a sec, you know, you played a very big part in a very special day for us. Obviously, you married my wife and I, which I'm forever thankful for. I don't know whether she is, but <laughs> time will tell. Um, but one of the things... And She's I still here, Brendan. Oh, it's yeah. She's still about. <laughs> um, so one thing, though, that um, that I, we probably hadn't told you, why we actually picked you as our celebrant. See, originally we wanted to um, go and get married up in Queensland. And yes. we, we'd gone to a wedding expo in La Trobe, at the La Trobe Memorial Hall. And I remember we just got talking to you and I think um, Bonnie my wife was just up front with you straight away and just said that you know we were looking to get married up in Queensland but she still sat there and chatted to you for half an hour yeah, or something yeah. I think I remember we walked away and she said and as fate would have it we did end up getting married here she said if anything happens Tracy's going to marry us just yeah. so you know and I said yeah, yeah I agree because yeah. I could see you know how you know how, how you guys got on and you know obviously was very comfortable with you as well so but you didn't like you weren't there selling anything or anything like that. You were just there just to have a chat. Oh, what are your plans, guys? That's really cool, you know. Yeah. And, and what are you looking at doing? And I'm not a salesperson. Yeah. I'm a big believer in, um, you know, you attract what you're meant to have. If you know what I mean, what, what you're meant to get, you attract. So I, I um probably unlike other business owners, I don't I don't look at what anyone else does. Yeah. I actually don't. I'm not not interested. I don't have time. I um. Another one of my favorite saying, stay in your own lane. Yep. Stay in your own lane. So I just do what I do. I try to do it as well as I can. And I try and be me for those people that I come into contact with. Yeah. So I'll bend over backwards to help anyone. Obviously, with COVID, there was lots of postponements and cancellations. And I had lots of couples say to me, well, you're being so accommodating. And I go, well, that's not your fault. Yeah. And it's not my fault. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. And yep. whatever I can do to help you out, I will. Yeah. You know, it's, I just want to... I want you to get married. If you choose now to get married in Sydney because it's easier for you, that's okay. Have an awesome day. You know, I appreciate you thinking of of us to begin with. Yep. And some people go, no, we really want to come to Tassie. Let's just postpone it for 12 months. No worries. Well, let's just see what's happening then. And, you know, I've had some couples who've had to postpone three times. Yep. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, and they go, thank you for bearing with us. No, thank you for bearing with us. We yeah. keep shutting the bloody borders here, <laughs> which is necessary. Yeah. But, you know, it. I, I just think if you're genuine, you love what you do. You don't need to be a salesperson. People will pick up on that energy. And I don't attract bridezillas because I'm not a high-maintenance bridezillery kind of person. Yeah. Like I, I don't mind being someone who wants to know lots of details. I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. But 
I can't be micromanaged to the point where it stresses me out because yeah. I'm just not that kind of person. Yeah. So I find I just don't get inquiries from people who are like that because I don't give off that energy. Yeah. yeah. One thing that we loved about you, though, with our wedding is, um, and again, now that we've been chatting, I know how important stories are and, and making the event sort of reflective of, of you as a person. So we really love the fact that the first thing you did was come and sit down in our lounge room and say, right, how did you guys meet? And yeah. tell me what you like about each other. Yeah. And, that. and you actually... Is weaved a word or is yeah, it weaved. wove? Woved. Woved. Weaved. Anyway. Weaved it. Yeah, you weaved it into our um our, our ceremony, yes. which was really, really cool because, again, I suppose I've probably been to a few weddings before where it does seem like, you know, you're just ticking a few boxes, yeah. but you actually wanted to make it a bit of a story, which yeah. was really cool. So. Yeah. And, and I think that's important. Like, a lot of the people that you invite to your wedding, they know you as a couple. They might not know you from before, you were a couple or they might not know your whole story so to me it's important to just share a snippet of that yeah yeah and a snippet of what you know because you might have this thing that you do between the two of you like jokey and shit story people don't realize that's who you are when together yeah how you roll you know so i like to just share what you're comfortable with sharing obviously yeah um and and make it a a bit it's your day it's not about me it's about you so i like to make it about you yeah yeah is it a competitive industry do you yeah look it can be a little bit narky um but what i've found over the many years i've been doing that is they all sort themselves out yeah they end up leaving the industry yeah so um to me, like if I'm not available, I automatically recommend celebrants who I suppose I think, well, if I was getting married, who would I choose? Yeah, yeah. those people. So I re- that's who I recommend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it can be. Yeah. It can be quite aggressive. Yeah. Um, but to me, there's enough business to go around this. You don't need to be like that. There's plenty of people out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Plenty yeah. of people that want to get married. Yeah. Plenty. So I always you... think if you're doing something and doing it well and then others pop up, I, I, I would take that as a compliment. That Absolutely. Obviously, people can see that there's... Not that it's, it, it, it's you're in it to make money, but obviously this is something that's popular and you can make a good living out of doing this. And so. here I am with the zone of genius again. Yep. So those that don't last in the industry aren't in it for the right reasons, in my opinion. They're yep. not working in their zone of genius. Yep. They're looking for, oh, how can I make money? Yep. Oh, here's an option. Away they go. Yep. Yeah, well, after a while, the novelty wears off. Or people can see that they're not in it for the right reasons and they don't get enough work, so they're on to the next thing. Yeah, they're yeah. on to something else. Yeah. One thing that you spoke about before, you know, and talking about, um, you know, people showing their emotions and, and particularly men showing their emotions, with our our wedding, I don't know whether you remember, but I just lost my shit. Yeah. And that was actually... The tough ones always do, Brendan. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the guys who... The grooms who say to me, oh, no, I'm not going to cry. I say to the bride, he's saying I'm going to cry. Gonna, Trust yeah. me. Yeah. That was actually the first time that I'd ever lost control of my emotions yeah. like that. Yeah. And it actually caught me by surprise yeah. yeah like i couldn't speak yeah like i don't i don't know how we got through it but we got a um we've got a video of it and i actually have haven't watched it back since you because, don't want to watch yourself well i probably should but i don't know it's just at the time it was actually something that i was a bit embarrassed by probably not the fact that i showed my emotions but probably more the fact that i lost control of them if yeah. that makes sense yeah I couldn't, absolutely i couldn't get out yeah. what i want to but but who's who's said anything to you about it since Who's giving you shit about no, it? No, one. no one. See, so, no, so but... no one. So no people, and I can speak from the celebrants, photographers, we love it. We think that's the most beautiful thing, yep. that you can be so 
you yeah. and honest and open yeah. in that moment because then it's really become about you and Bonnie. Yeah. It's really become about you two and you've forgotten that everyone else is still standing there, yeah. which is just lovely. And the funny thing yeah. was, though, she's generally the emotional one and I yeah. was a strong... And she was like a rock on yeah. the day and I just yeah. lost my shit and just yeah. cried like a baby. Yeah, but that's awesome. I've become better at it over time, but it's funny, though, because now I'm, I'm still a, a crybaby. I don't know whether it's kids or what, what it's done to me, but I it's get age. very emotional. We get old, Brendan. Yeah. Yeah, and everything gets to us. Get a bit wobbly. <laughs> <laughs> but I can feel it coming on now, so I can yes. actually like work through it. I still yeah. get a little bit teary, but yeah. I just thought, shit, how do I work through this? It was yeah, yeah, it was something quite unusual. But again, I suppose looking back now, I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad that my kids were there to yes, see me. Absolutely, be like that. So as they well. know Dad's not like total stone. No, no, no Dad's got emotions <laughs> too. But is, is that something that you generally do see to people? Yeah, we do get emotional. We, we do, and it's yep. funny. We see it a lot in those little elopements yep. as well. Um, and sometimes we see it when the groom sees the bride for the very first time yeah, and yep. he cannot get it together or the bride cannot get it together for the rest of the whole ceremony. Yep. And that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, the toughest, like, because when it's a bigger wedding and I've got a groom and his groomsman and he'll be going, oh, I'm not going to get upset because I will, in my nature, I will shit stir yep. just to relax them, yep. just to tr- take the tension away. And I'll get a, yeah, I'm not going to cry. I said, I've been told if you're not crying, I need to pinch you. Mm. Or she's not coming down the aisle. Yeah. You know, like I'll joke around. <laughs> and then the toughest ones are always the first with the tear in their eye. Yep. Yeah. And they'll turn around and I'll, and I'll say to them, you've got this. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Like, that's my genuine MO. Yeah. And I do it without thinking about it. Yeah. So... Hopefully, I haven't offended anyone over the years, but you know, you <laughs> do just you, do it in the moment. Do you over the years have you have you learned to pick up on people's emotions? Can you tell when they're a bit stressed or when they're about to crack? Or yeah, like absolutely, yep. um, definitely when they're stressed. And sometimes because the groom is for the bigger weddings, because the groom is there with all the guests before the bride turns out, the pressure is on him. And I don't think people realise that he's the one that's being looked at. Um, he's the one, or she, they, yep. you know, whoever whoever that person is that's standing there waiting is the one that's under scrutiny. Yep. And I will generally, before we start, about 10, 15 minutes, just take them away with the pretense of needing to talk to them and just have a little chat. And we usually talk, because I'm a big sports fan, yep. we usually talk footy or we talk <laughs> cricket or yep. we talk, you know, motorsports, something that will just distract them. And I go, okay, right, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get you and your groomsmen to stand here and I'm going to get all your guests so that basically you're being left alone. Um, Just to, you know, I have lots of little ways now that I've learned over the years to really calm and make that moment not so stressful for yeah. the for the one left waiting. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm glad you said he, she, and they because yeah. that that leads into my next question. So obviously, in 2017, they passed the bill for yes. same-sex marriage. Um, how has that changed the, the wedding industry? It, it hasn't. hasn't. Okay. So effectively, at the very start when that law got passed, you had all those people who've been waiting a long time who really wanted to get married super quickly. Yep. But couples are couples. Most of them want to take their time so there was no initial rush that people thought that there was going to be yeah there was in that first say two months but other than that it's just couples getting married so we do lots of same-sex marriages but they plan and take their time like everyone else yeah you know so it hasn't really changed changed anything at all Yeah. yeah yeah Awesome. Um, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges in the wedding industry? What are some of the hardest things to oh, look? To I I only think the the biggest challenge is the expectation on couples. Yeah. To me, that that's the biggest challenge is couples getting so overwhelmed with what's expected of them. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than challenges, I mean, obviously, be nice to have um, more venues, <laughs> but then you 
a venue can only be a venue if it, it can sustain and make money. Seasons here are so short. We've really only got sort of September to April. Mm. Um, and most, but like we do lots of non-Saturday weddings with elopements and micro weddings. So there's only so many Saturdays for local people in that time. People are now open to Fridays and Sundays and getting married on any day of the week, which is great. Um, so that's the biggest challenge is, good example, 22nd of January, 22 most popular date of the season, one of the most popular because it's two two one two two. Yeah, right. So you can imagine how I've knocked back about seven weddings that day. Wow. Because, you know, you can't, you, you just can't. Yep. You, you can't be in seven places at once. Yeah. So that's probably the challenge is when people want Saturdays and want particular dates, there's only so much space in in that window time frame. Yeah. So I think um, one of the challenges is to be, is to try and re-educate people that weddings don't have to be Saturdays yeah. in Tassie. Yeah. They're not everywhere else, but in Tassie, we're still in that Saturday mentality. Yeah. If you get married on a Friday, people take what day off work if they know well enough in yeah, advance. Yeah, if they've got an advance, Absolutely. yeah, they know. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, weddings are in advance kind of situations. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, for example, I didn't do a wedding last weekend. I don't have one this weekend. But we, I had five last week, yep. and I've got four this week. Yep. But none of them on a Saturday. Yep. So things you know, are changing. It, things the thing the industry is changing yeah. around things like that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, are you prepared to tell us the best wedding that you've directed? Oh, look, I I think every wedding's special. Yeah. But there's definitely some memorable ones. Yep. I had a couple who got married at Cradle Mountain on the fourth of May. Yep. And they were huge Star Wars fans. Yeah. Right. And they dressed up. In Star Wars costumes, <laughs> and awesome. the bouquet was in like the lightsaber handle, yeah. like, and they had a Star Wars theme. So I find that that was uniquely them, and I love that that they did something quirky and just them. Yep. And I've had a couple, same sex couple, who've been together thirty odd years, who've finally got married yep. because the law was passed. Fantastic. And you know, just things like that, I I think are just beautiful. Yep. Just absolutely beautiful. Have you had any that everything's gone to shit that um, you're prepared to talk about? Or? Well, we ha- like. Weather plays a big factor. Yeah, yeah. So probably the only thing that really factors in here a month ago, horrendous, horrendous weather. Bride and groom, ah, it is what it is. Yep. They were totally okay about it, but it certainly was uncomfortable for everyone else involved. Yep. You know? So yeah, weather is probably the main the main factor that yeah. plays into things not being great. Um I haven't had Receptions are where the fights go down. Yep. And I'm not usually there. Yep. By then. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. Part. I don't have to worry about that. But I have been back to reception venues where there's been blood on tables and chairs and Shit. you can tell something's gone down. Wow. So yeah, it is it is a bit of a worry that people feel the need to to do that kind of thing on a wedding day. Yeah. But you know, alcohol and tempers and I'll say no more. Mm. Yeah. It's funny you say that with um with, with the weather though, but I think at the end of the day, as long as a bride and groom enjoy their day Absolutely. and they've had a good day everyone else will work around like probably the most memorable wedding I've been to was our best friend's wedding up on the Gold Coast yes. and they're from Tasmania but they've moved up there and it absolutely pissed down yeah, and, we, wow. and we made fun of it in the speeches we said thanks for getting married in Queensland because it would have only rained in Tassie yeah of course, yeah, of course. And, it, and probably the weather that day in Tassie was perfect it probably yeah. was too but yeah it absolutely pissed down but it was the best wedding that we've been to because yeah. you know but it, it managed to just hold up just for the ceremony. It rained yeah. before, so we were taking the flags in, but then it came 
the 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 weather came good so um the bride rang up and said no we're on our way so we had to put these flags back up really quickly and they come they all come running out we got through it really quick then it absolutely pissed down so everyone was running to their cars and i i just remember because they hired those wicked vans oh remember those ones they had those so people were ferrying people back and forward to the wedding reception venue from that and it was like when that came up it was like an ambulance had come to rescue because everyone was just drenched all the girls had put all this work into their hair and makeup yeah. and that, and they were all drenched, but everyone was laughing. They yeah. all loved it. Um, but then we got back to their um, reception, which was on a boat, which was fantastic. Um, but then they snuck them back away again because then when the weather settled again, the clouds and the sky were just that magnificent Beautiful. looking. Just yeah. They got some great photos. And as I say, I was, it's the best wedding that I've ever been to. And, and you don't it, even think about it. We laugh about the weather. Absolutely. That, yeah. And I think it comes from the attitude of the, the bridal couple. Yeah. So if, if they're like, uh, if, if they're, they're pretty ha- cruisy. If they're yeah. cruisy, everyone yeah. else goes, oh, this is great. Yeah. If they're not, yeah. it feels like energy and is a big thing. Yeah. It filters through everyone. Yeah. Which is why I'm always, as if I'm as the wedding planner coordinator and I'm there the whole day, I'm cool, calm and collected. Yeah. Doesn't matter what happens, my you don't see a change in my temperament. Yeah. Because the bridal couple pick up. If I was stressed or worried or if they can pick up that will then filter back through yeah, and ruin the whole day. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Um, now, you've spoken about finding your zone of genius a couple of times. Yeah. Go into that. Do we need a whole other podcast for this? Or <laughs> Probably. No, it's it's my little um, thing that I seem to have. Yep. That everyone has a zone of genius. Yep. They have this place that they work from where it's easy. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with making money from something that's easy. We all have it. And some of us take a bit longer to find us. Others find it early in life. But you've got to experience life and experience things to find your zone of genius. Yeah. And I I think that working in my zone of genius is organising micro-weddings elopements. Yeah. That's, that's what I do. I also think it sort of filters into funerals as well. Yeah. Um, it's just that organising kind of thing. You know, you starting this podcast and you find this enjoyable and mm. gives you joy. Yeah. You're in your zone of genius. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and everyone's got it. I think, yeah, it's, it's it's sad, I suppose, that some people may live their whole life, you know, and go to their grave without actually finding that one thing, or they may know what it is, but not actually expanding into Don't it. Don't pursue it, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think that cliff jumping is a really important thing. Mm. I felt when I left council and went into the funeral industry, I was jumping off a cliff. Um, I just trusted the universe to give me wings to make it okay. Yep. And to me, it was actually a stepping stone. So I often say to people, you know, if you, if you don't try, how do you know? And what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? Mm. You go back to doing what you were, yep. what you were doing. But for some people, it's, yeah, but what will people say? Who cares what people say? This is the trouble I think that we have is that we worry too much about what everyone else thinks. What other people think about you is none of your business. Just get on, stay in your lane, get on with your life. Mm. Like, it doesn't matter. There's people that are just determined to find fault in whatever you do. So just do you. Mm. Do you. Yep. Like, it. seriously, I, you know, I know people who are in their 60s who are still doing the same job they did in their 20s, yep. loathe it, hate it, don't want to get up and go to work. And I just think, why? Mm. Why? I wish you had found the strength to go, you know what, stuff that, I'm doing this. I'm mm. doing this thing that I love. Yeah. And I suppose that brings up another good point too, is it's also not too late. Like you see people that Never. are in their 50s and 60s Never. that then they might decide, this is Never. what I want to do. Well, isn't, you know, wasn't um K- old Colonel Sanders, wasn't he in his 50s yeah. when he came up with KFC? That and, wasn't a bad idea. You know, and uh, the 
co-found the founder of McDonald's was in his forties, yeah. late forties or something. Yeah. I mean, I think you need a certain amount of life experience mm. to really know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes some people get a lot more experience in thirty years than others. Mm. It just depends how it goes. Yeah, I just think that if you can find your zone of genius, then you are, you know. You're setting yourself up for an enjoyable life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, your kids pick up on things like that. Your mm. friends around you pick up on things like that. Yeah. And I think that's important too. You know, I think I said before, we've got a 12-year-old daughter. She's very cruisy. You know, she, her favourite saying is, it is what it is. Yeah. Like, you know, for 12, that's a pretty cool attitude to have, I think. And, you know, she loves sewing. I don't know where she's picked that up because I'm not a sewer. But <laughs> she loves, she's crafty. She loves yep. to make things. She does PowerPoints on her laptop about, you know, she does vision boards yeah. and things like that. So I, the next generation, I think you're going to find their zone of genius much quicker than our much generation. Quicker. Yeah, and yeah. I suppose it's probably encouraged more now, whereas back in the day it was more, you know, you need to get a job, you need to get an income. Or you need to get a trade. Or you need yeah. to get a, you know, I don't have a university degree. Yep. I don't have any formal qualifications of any description and i love that young entrepreneurs and we're so entrepreneur focused these days there's a different way to do business there's a different way to do life and you don't have to follow traditional paths Mm. you don't have to get yourself into a whole heap of debt to end up with a piece of paper for a job you actually really don't want to do Mm. you're allowed to find your way yeah absolutely and it's encouraged now which is fantastic um, couple more quick ones before we finish up. What's the biggest challenge that you faced in your life, and how did you overcome it? Would you um, say? I look. I always see every challenge as an opportunity to learn. Yep. I know that sounds really cheesy and cliche, but I mean, I suppose my parents getting divorced, um, my stepbrother died when we were thirteen. Like I've had lots of little mini challenges. Yep. Uh, the way I was treated in the music industry for a while. I divorced myself. That was you know quite a challenge. Um, starting a business was quite a challenge. I I don't see any one thing as a major thing. I suppose I just see it all as uh, how it shaped my personality, yep. I suppose. Yep. Yeah. And probably lucky that I took the lessons. I took everything, and not way back when. You know, I've done a lot of work over the last 14, 15 years to look back at my life and go, okay, well, what was the lesson in that? What, what did I need to learn from that? And have I learned that? Or am I just going to repeat that pattern again? So I suppose, yeah, I've, I don't see anything as one major challenge. Yep. I just see everything as the challenges that I've had. You know, my dad died when he was young. And that was probably a big turning point for me 10 years ago. Because the conversation I had with him was not one that I'd ever had with my dad before. Because, yep. you know, he was a farmer and he didn't talk about these things. Yep. So that was probably one of the major turning points in my life. Not a, not a challenge as yep. such, but um, a major epiphany moment. Yeah, yeah, cool. Has being divorced yourself changed the way that you look at weddings at all or the, the bride and groom on the day? Is not it? at all. Okay. Not at all. Yep. Look, I think that um, you make a decision with all the information you have at the time and it's the best decision that you can make at that time. Yep. Things change. Life's ch- life changes, yep. you know. And yep. you know what? I know some people who've stayed in marriages that shouldn't be in marriages and have been treated very badly on both sides. Yep. So I'm, you've got to do what's best for you. I'm not, you know, it's not something I go, oh, yeah, look at me, I'm divorced. Like, I'm not proud of it, but it was the best decision for both of us and our daughter at that time. Yep. And that's all you can, can... Was the best decision... We made the best decision when we got married. Yep. We also made the best decision for all of us when we went our separate ways. Cool. And we now, like my ex-husband is remarried. 
I love his new wife. She's amazing, yep. as are her kids. Um, our daughter has the best... She has two families, the best yep. of both worlds. Um, I have a partner with two little boys. And, you know, we're all... Not one big happy family, but we all get along really well. Yeah. So for my daughter, she's got the best of both worlds. Yep. And it couldn't be better for her. Mm. And lots of experiences, lots of different people in her life to teach her different things. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's how I look at it. It's it's funny you say that because I've had, you know, numerous guests on here that have been through divorce and separation and it seems like society slowly is changing, whereas we've gone away from the old days of you know, your ex is your enemy for life now oh, and that sort of thing. Whereas yeah. now we seem to find these big blended families now that all seem to be, you know, getting on beautifully. Absolutely. And, you know, you get on really well with his partner and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, you know, Trent McCarthy spoke beautifully about it, you know, absolutely. being through the same sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Because, you know, the, the only people who lose if you continually fight with your ex are the kids. Yeah. That's the only ones who suffer. That's right. So why would you do that to your kids? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I don't... I have real issue with uh, people who use their kids as weapons yeah. against their ex. Chess I, there's, pieces. There's absolutely no need for that. Yeah. Absolutely no need. You've got to be grown-ups. You've got to be the adults. Mm. You chose to part. Mm. The kids didn't choose it. Kids, And they didn't choose to be born. Mm. So why are you torturing them? Mm. So you're only going to look at it through your lens. They're only going to look at it through their lens. How about you look at it through your kid's lens? Mm. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've received from someone? Um... I think I've mentioned it throughout, but yep. it's like, don't make a permanent decision for a temporary situation. Yep. And just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true. Yep. So to me, uh, especially that just because someone said, and that was said to me around the time that I'd separated from my husband. And I suppose I everything he said to me, because obviously at the start, it's not great. Yep. Um, You know, we're now eight years down the track, so it's a much different situation. I would... Uh, not lose the plot, but get really worked up about something that he said. Because I trusted people to tell me how things were. Mm. Well, it was just his perception. And once I worked out that that was his perception about things and that it wasn't necessarily how it was and that I chose my battles, I didn't mm. fight him on everything mm. because what was the point? Yeah. Um, then things got calm quite quick yeah yeah and i think sometimes in that situation too communication is so important whereas even if you do hear something that might be mm, i'm not quite sure about that actually picking up the phone and saying i've just heard this can you just explain yeah. why that happened and sometimes yeah. you find that's a completely different perspective than that third party that just told you absolutely and the thing that i find too like when because i do we do week about with our daughter yep. so she spends a week with the dad and then a week with me yeah cool what he does with her is none of my business. Yep. Like I, I trust that he's going to keep her safe and yep. happy. I'm not going to uh, like I'm not going to tell him how he needs to be. The same that I don't want him telling me how I need to be when she's with me. You've got to. You had a child with this person. You've got to trust that they've got their best interests at heart. You can't control yep. what they do. Um, I mean, and Emmy's been that week about since she was four. She doesn't know any different. She loves it. I've said to her numerous times, if you want to. Spend weekends with your dad and during the week with me for school, or you know, if you want to change this, she goes, no, no, I like it like this. Mm. Like, and she loves, she loves the different dynamics at the two houses. Yeah. So, and I think that's what's also helped her become well adjusted. But you know, her birthday this year, we all went out for dinner together. Yeah, that's really cool. All of us sat yep. around the table and had dinner together because it's about her. It's yep. not about us. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think. If people could just suck up their own egos every now and then for the sake of the kids. Mm. happy days yeah make yeah. it about them then you can't really go wrong you can can't you? Yeah. You can, and they will appreciate it yeah 
that's pretty much all the questions I've got. Oh. I think I've sucked you for as much knowledge oh. as I possibly can I today. Like I just had a... <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fantastic. And, you know, I know that the people are going to take take plenty out of that, as, as they do with all the podcasts. All I can say to you is, you know, I, I think it's it's commendable the fact that you're so passionate about celebrating other people's lives and, yeah. and, and, and telling their stories. And, you know, it, it's certainly been awesome hearing about yours today. Yeah, so, you know, some much. of it I knew, but I've certainly learned a, a hell of a lot more today. Yeah, so. Good. On that note, we'll um, we'll wrap it up. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for coming in. No problem. <laughs> Cheers. Who would have thought a chat mainly about death and funerals would be so enlightening and fun? And I hope you got as much out of it as I did. Being that this was recorded coming up to the busy wedding season, I can't thank Tracy enough for her time and giving her insights. She's a true go-getter and a pleasure to talk to who believes that anyone can work in their zone of genius and move towards their calling in life. If you want to contact Tracy, you can find her at popupweddingstasmania.com.au and tell her Brendan sent you. For anyone wanting to sponsor the podcast or suggest a great guest for us, go to talkhardpodcastoneword.com or contact us through socials. And while you're there, make sure you like, follow and subscribe so you can hear me dribble on 24-7. See you next time. For anyone out there having their own struggles who wants to have a chat to someone, you can call Lifeline on 131114, Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978, or you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636.